Okay. Brother Matthew. Oh, Sister Lynn. Oh, Sister V. Oh. There are too many of you on this here. Have a seat, guys. We just started. Okay, so it's the first meeting of the year, so I was thinking at the start of the year, people think of resolutions and people think of change, especially to do with resolutions, right? So I was thinking about whether I make, because a lot of people bagged resolutions, especially this year. They're like, oh, new year, new me, and people put out memes about it. And everyone's like, I'm not going to make new goals. Goals are stupid, blah, blah, blah. But I think my personal thought is that people secretly did it anyway. They just didn't post it on Facebook. They're like, no, I still want to achieve this thing. It's a new slate. It's a new feeling. And I want to I wanna make sure that I've changed. I want to make sure that I see something different within myself in this coming year by the end of it. I want it to have been a worthwhile year. I want to see some change. So I remember at the, end, at the start of last year, I was like, okay, one of the goals, like millions of Australians, millions of people around the world, I want to go to the gym. Okay? And I, I was like, I want to go to the gym for a year and just see what happens. But it wasn't just you know, for the muscle and for the, because it's fun to lift weights and whatever. But because it would teach me discipline and because I'd have to learn to cook and because I'd have to wake up early and do all of these awesome things. And as you can see, obviously, right, I'm huge. So it worked. <laughs> obviously not. So what went wrong, right? I did go for like two and a half months. I was, I'm not going to say that I cooked for two and a half months. That would be a lie. I didn't do that. But I at least tried and I had the motivation for the starting period and then it dropped off. And then I was just like, oh, I should go and I know that I need to go and I know that I need to change the way that I'm doing things, but I just can't find how. I just can't find it within myself to actually take that step and change it. And what tonight is about is really about that. It's about the change process and whether we're willing to go through it with God or not. And why we can't seem to stick to change when we know that we need it. So I'm going to get personal with you guys because this new year, it needs to be different. And my vision for it, and I hope that it's your vision as well for this new year, is that we see change. We see change in ourselves, we see change in each other, we see change in our community, the people around us, the people we interact with at uni and at work and all the different places that God has put us there for that reason, that we see change. But the change begins within us. So I was thinking about change last night and why I didn't follow through with a bunch of different things, not just with the gym. And late last night, I sat down with God, and it was like maybe two in the morning, and I said, Lord, I've messed up. I've really messed up. And I know that I'm not anywhere near where I should be in relation to you. And I said, Lord, I desperately need your help. And his answer came instantly. And it was, I know that you need my help, but do you want it? And that question is still lingering in my mind as I speak to you tonight. He said, I know you need my help, and I know you need me, but do you want it? 
do you actually want it? You see, we know that we need to change. We know that this new year can't be like the year before. We know that there is so much that we can be, that we can do, that God wants for us. But are we actually willing to let Him make those changes? We know we need it. We know. But are we willing? Are we willing? That was the question that I was asked last night. And this whole week as I was thinking about what we're going to speak about for, for the first meeting, I was thinking of this idea of masks. But before we get to the masks, because the masks are a whole separate issue, Daniel, can you, oh, you here? Can you, open, can you open this up with us? I want to I expand a little bit on this, this question that I was asked last night. And um, it's in John, John 5, from the beginning of John 5. So John 5, as soon as I heard God's answer, this was the passage that popped into my head. And I believe it was from Him. And it says this, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now here's Jesus, right? And he doesn't just approach and sees that there's a lot of people who obviously need healing, right? There's no question about that. They're all there. They're all paralyzed. They're all helpless. They all need help, right? But it doesn't say that he just saw them. He says he saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He actually took the time to ask, and after he knew that he'd been this way for 38 years, he goes up and asks him the most nonsensical question ever. He goes, do you want to get well? Do you want to get healed? Why do you think Jesus did that? Because that's the same question that he asked me last night. The exact same one. Do you want to be healed? I know you've been this way for a long time. I know you've been struggling. I know you've been hiding it. But do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? What does the guy reply? He says, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me. I have no one to help me. Let me explain the situation of this guy a little bit better to you, okay? So this was the courtyard that was just described there in Jerusalem. There were all these people who would sit there on their little uh, rugs or mats or whatever, and they're all helpless and they're all mostly homeless, and they're all, uh, they all have something wrong with them that's like major. And there's this little pool where they said an angel would stir the water, and whoever got in first after the angel did that would be healed. Also, that was their belief. And so thousands of people were scattered around this pool, some obviously closer than others. Now, this guy is paralyzed. So he can't physically get up, walk to the pool, and jump in it. What's wrong with him is keeping him from doing that. He can't get to the pool. Even if it did heal him, he can't move to it. So he's relying on people, or at least because that's what he thinks is his only hope. People can help me. 
people can help me. But so he says, after 38 years, I have no one to help me. I have no one to help me into this pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. There's no one to help me. But he's standing in front of the great healer himself. He's standing in front of Jesus. And yet he says, there's no one to help me. How often do we do that? How often do we know that God has the answer and we exhaust every other option first before we're broken for 38 years and we seek God then? How often does that happen? He says, sir, there's no one to help me. Jesus instantly replies. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once, after 38 years, at once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. I read something about the significance of the mat today that I hadn't actually expected or thought of. They say that the mat was what the guy was relying on to get people's help. Because him sitting there in that position, on that mat, in that setting with those people, signified to others around him that he was in desperate need of help. That mat was his little home. That mat was where he has been for the last, I don't know how many years. That mat was the position that he was paralyzed in and needing help through. That's what that mat represented. Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat, walk. You won't need that anymore. Walk, walk away from this place that you've been sitting at for the last 38 years. The other thing is the significance of how long it was before Jesus stood before him. 38 years. And here we begin to talk about the masks. You see, you can hide a struggle for so long and let it eat away at you from the inside for so, so long. And no one will know. No one will know. You can keep it hidden. You can keep it pushed down. You can keep it behind closed doors. For so long and you come to church and you look pretty and you look nice and you do all the right things and no one questions your faith, no one questions your integrity, no one questions any of that because they believe that you are the best person in the world because you do all the right things in front of people. But you can be stuck in this secret struggle for 38 years and not a soul would know. I want to read you a song. I'm just going to read you the lyrics of it because this is what was on my heart to talk about tonight. And it's a song by Casting Crowns and it's called Stained Glass Mas Masquerade. And just please really listen to the words. The songwriter says this, Is there anyone that fails? Is there anyone that falls? Am I the only one in church today feeling so small? When I take a look around, everybody seems so strong. I know they'll soon discover that I don't belong. So I tuck it all away like everything's okay. If I make them all believe it, then maybe I'll believe it too. So with a painted grin, I play my part again. So everyone will see me the way that I see them. Are we happy plastic people under shiny plastic steeples with walls around our weaknesses and smiles to hide our pain? But if the invitation's open to every heart, 
that has been broken, maybe then we close the curtain on our stained glass masquerade. And then they say, is there anyone who's been there? Are there any hands to raise? Am I the only one who's traded the altar for a stage? The performance is convincing and we know every line by heart. Only when no one is watching can we really fall apart. But would it set me free if I dared to let you see the truth behind the person that you imagined me to be? Would your arms be open or would you walk away? Would the love of Jesus be enough to make you stay? It's this unsaid, hidden culture that we have in church where when you walk through the doors, perfection is expected of you. Where when you walk through the doors, you instantly feel judging eyes on the back of your head. How am I dressing? What am I saying? Am I like doing this right? Do I stand? Do I close my eyes? Do I pretend like I'm really into worship? Do I, what do I do to fit into this pristine looking thing that's called the church? How do I fit in? If I let them know that I'm actually struggling with this sin, then they won't accept me. Then they'll think that I'm so far short of their standards. Imagine if I'd said that the first time I came to Jesus. I wouldn't be saved. I wouldn't be here. I'd say, Lord, I'm too messed up for you to save. I'm not perfect. I can't come near you. And that's the truth, which is why he came near me. That's why the opposite happened. The church was never meant to be a place to show off on a shelf perfect people. Look at him, look at her, look how fantastic they are. I guarantee you that every single one of those on the shelf has their own problems. Just like you. We are all broken people who need the love and grace of Jesus Christ. The longer we hide it, the longer we pretend this perfection, one, two things are going to happen, okay? One, you're going to be found out eventually, right? You keep pretending for long enough. Yeah, you can hide it for a very long time, but it will seep through the cracks. No one's perfect. Nothing that's hidden ever stays hidden. It always comes to light. Maybe after 38 years, but it will still come to light. The second thing is it will eat and hollow you out on the inside every single day it remains there. This being fake, this trying to be someone that I know I'm not. Putting on this air of perfection in front of people. You can't keep that up. So I stood before God yesterday and I said, Lord, I desperately need you. He said, I know, but do you want me to step in? You know why that's a hard question? Because the process of healing and the process of restoration hurts and it takes time. It hurts and it takes time. For you to battle that secret addiction and then actually be willing to come out and say, I've been dealing with something really rough and I know that it's bad. But for you to actually have the courage to step forward and to say what you've been struggling with, that is difficult. 
and to begin the process of healing, to actually open up to God before anyone else, and then to open up to others, that's difficult. Whatever it is that you've been struggling with, whatever it is that you've been hiding, that's difficult. You see, why I wanted to speak about this tonight is in order to start this year afresh, really afresh, and in order to see change in your life, in order to pick up your mat and walk from the same place full of paralyzed people who haven't been healed for 38 years, you're going to have to take off that mask and say to God and say to the people around you, I'm not perfect. I'm not. I'm not perfect. And I need God. And I need you to help. In order for us to see change within ourselves and within our community, that's what needs to happen first. We need to remind ourselves that Jesus saved us from the very bottom of the barrel. That we are nothing without Him. Don't put anybody up on a pedestal except for Christ. No one has the right to be there except Him. No one. The next verse I really wanted to share with you guys is John 8.31 It says this To the Jews who had believed, Jesus said If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples Then you will know the truth And the truth will set you free Before this meeting, as I was preparing for it And as I was praying about it I said, Lord, I'm broken and I'm messed up and I need your help. I said it again after last night. I said it just before I came to the meeting. And his answer was ex as soon as I had spoken. I know, but I love you anyway. Instantly. Yesterday night, it's I know you need me. Are you willing to let me in? Today, I know you're broken. I love you. And that's exactly the relationship that we have with Christ. Lord, I come to you. I know that I am nothing in and of myself. But I know that in you I'm loved. You know why he can say to me, I love you? Because he's not looking at me. He's looking at his son. His perfect son who finished the work on the cross for me. Who was able to change me. Who was able to hold me up. He's looking at him. I don't have any right to stand here and speak to you and preach to you and say that because I'm somehow better than you, I'm not. I'm here and you're here by the grace of God. By the grace of Jesus Christ and by His love and through what He's done for every single one of us. For us to move on, to actually move on, instead of just having these conversations and hearing this preaching and singing the songs and coming to the meetings week after week, for us to actually grow, we're going to have to let go of this lie within us that I can do this by myself or that I can continue to hide in the shadows while at the same time grow in the light. You can't do that. As long as you continue to resist God and push Him away and say, no, I'm not willing to let go, you're going to sit in that chair on that mat for as long as it takes before you say to God, Lord, take my hand. The truth 
shall set you free. The truth is that God loves you. Despite the fact that you and I are messed up. And despite the fact that we're very broken. God loves you. Not because of anything you've done or didn't do. Not because of who you are, but because of who He is. God loves you just because He can. And just because He wants to. And He's not changing His mind. You see, we change, we waver in our commitment. God doesn't. God's not like us. God said, I love you. He saw your entire timeline from beginning to end. And He said, I'm going to take Him with every messed up thing that He has. All of it. I want all of it. From beginning to end, I love Him. I love her. I love you. All of you. I want it all, is what Jesus said when He went to the cross for each of us. That's why I can stand here with the confidence to actually speak to you and say, Jesus loves me and He loves you. And that is a freeing truth. That's how I can move on. That's how I can live my life. Because I'm not living in fear of God striking me down with a bolt of lightning. I know that God loves me. And I know that God wants to take my hand and move with me and with you. And that's what this new year is about. It's changing your mind like it says in Romans 12. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Understand how God sees you. And live in light of it. That's what we need to do to actually change. I want to read another verse, uh, another couple of verses with you, actually, because I know that being in that secret struggle, whatever it may be, and I'm speaking, I don't know what you guys are going through, but I'm speaking out, knowing that you understand what I'm saying. Proverbs 24, 16. We're almost done, by the way. It's not long today. Proverbs 24, 16. It's an amazing verse and it says, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Do you know what the number seven represents in the Bible? Completeness or perfection. Every time it's used. So it's as if, though the righteous man falls seven times, like he's completely broken, he's completely down, he's fallen. And yet somehow, they rise again. Why? Because it's God who upholds them. It's that verse in the New Testament where we are oppressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, pressed down but not destroyed. That's the New Testament version. To all outside appearance, we're smashed, we're destroyed. But to God, at the end of us, we've fallen seven times, we're done, we can't get up. God comes, takes us by the hand, and somehow... We rise. The next one I want to read with you guys is Micah 7 verse 8. And this is the attitude that we all need to have towards this struggle, towards this fight. Just stay with me. We've got like two minutes left. Micah 7 verse 8. This is an amazing verse. It says, Do not glow in my version. It says, Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy, though I have fallen. I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Listen to that again. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. I don't know about you, but that verse to me is like, that's the one. That, it really is the one. God knows, God sees, God hears. 
And for me, even though I've fallen, and I know I've fallen, and so have you, we can say to Satan, we can say to our enemies, no, don't rejoice. I'm not staying here. I'm not staying on this map. Even when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. He sees, he knows, and he's waiting to pick me up. And he's waiting to pick you up. The last verse and what I'll end with is the end of Jude. And it's a verse that has gotten me through more than I can tell you. It's uh, other way around, right before Revelation. Jude. Towards the end, it's verse 24. Listen to this. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. You see... The guy sitting on the mat, his problem was expecting that people were somehow going to get him through this problem. That's not the case. Nor will you be able to get yourself out of whatever your problem is that's in the dark. You won't. He was there for 38 years, couldn't move. Neither will you be able to. But the way that we get out of it is this verse. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. It's not my job to present myself faultless before God. It's actually his job. How's that for truth to change your mind and to change your life? To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. You don't have the strength to keep yourself for that. You don't. Nor will you ever have it. But you rest in God and you say, Lord, it's not my job, it's yours. But I not only need you tonight, I want you tonight. I want you tonight. My vision is that this youth group becomes an amazing impact. Every single person here would feel and see God move in their own lives and know that these aren't just songs that we sing, these aren't just verses that we quote, but these are truths that can be lived, seen, heard, felt, touched in each of our lives. Because until God steps into your life and actually tells you to get up and walk, you'll just sit here and just watch. And just watch week after week. You'll just watch. But tonight we don't want that to be the case. We want to break all the pretense tonight so that we can move forward into this new year with God and actually grow and actually see Him move in each of our lives. So to end... If there's anybody else like me here who is not only willing to say to God, I need you, which is hard, but is willing to say, Lord, I want you as well, then stand up with me and we'll pray. With all eyes closed, I'm going to close my eyes and if I was sitting down, I would be getting up, but since I'm already up, I'm going to stay standing. But if that's what you want, if you're willing to look at God and with an honest heart say, Lord, I've messed up and I need you so bad. Lord, I don't want to go into this new year dragging around a cannonball on my ankle, Lord. 
I want to soar with you. I want to run with you. I want to see what your plan for my life really is, Lord. I want to grow without hindrance and without barrier, Lord. I want to experience your love. I want to experience your joy. I want to experience your freedom, Lord, and your peace in their fullness, Lord. And I want to overflow with them to impact others' lives. Just take a second. Pray. Talk to God now. Talk to Him. He's here. He's listening. He's willing to act. He's waiting to say, get up and walk. And He's asking you the same question that He asked me. Do you want to get well? Do you want to? Are you willing? Do you want to get well? Speak to Him. Jesus, for me and for everyone else who's standing here. You know our weaknesses, Lord. You know our struggles, Lord. You know all our secrets, Lord. But the amazing thing is, Lord, that you love us anyway. Lord Jesus, thank you that tonight you offer that outstretched hand and say, come with me. Get up and walk. Lord Jesus, we all admit here tonight that we don't have the strength to live the life that you want us to live and that we're not perfect, Lord, and that we're broken. Lord Jesus, we would ask, as we completely surrender to you tonight, that you would take the reins of our lives once again, Lord Jesus. Here we are, down on our knees again, Lord Jesus. We would ask you to take control, Lord. We would ask you to, by your Holy Spirit, empower us, Lord, to live this life that you call us to. Keep us from falling, Lord. Keep us from stumbling, Lord. And help each one here, Lord, walk with you arm in arm, Lord, in fullness of joy, Lord, waiting for that day when they will see you. I thank you so much for every person here tonight, Lord, and I pray that you would just... Have your hand on them and bless them abundantly and bless this year, Lord, as we go forward with you in full light and knowledge of your grace and your love. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. All righty. I did forget about announcement, but I guess now is probably the better time to do it. We have mentor groups.